Welcome to the Benito Juarez Experience. This is Luciano Joshua Gonzalez. And you am Navarro Rivera. Today's episode is a very special episode. It's the episode that we're going to be releasing right before the Honduran election. And because of that, we are going to take this episode to talk about the Honduran election. In the future, we are going to have special episodes if we can time them just right, where we talk about specific Latin American nations elections. So this isn't, this isn't going to be a one-off. It's just that this episode is timed particularly well because this episode will be released on the 22nd of November. And the election is going to be on the 26th of November. So that gives us the perfect. That means that you have four days to be wrong. Oh, I, I honestly don't know if anyone can make any general predictions about this election. Because for a variety of reasons, including numerous of which we're going to be talking about in this episode, this election has the potential to just be all sorts of crazy. Uh, as people know, who've listened to this podcast, Honduras is a country that I lived in. It's the country that I lived in when I was in high school. And it's also kind of my professional specialty, in both in terms of me being a historian and me being a writer. I run the Honduras Report, which is a English language newspaper, which seeks to translate news. We publish things mostly every day, although there are sometimes weeks when I can't publish things publicly every single day because of work, but we do have a monthly newsletter. This month's newsletter is going to be a lot of fun because it's the election. But before we get started, I just wanted to ask Joem what he knew about Honduras' elections before we dive into this. Honestly, I, I have been so upset with the American elections of 2017 uh, that I actually haven't paid much attention. I mean, the last thing I've known about Honduras is the, what, 2009 coup? Uh, that, yeah, that, that's probably the last major event I've known about Honduras, at least politically. And then, of course, in terms of my specialty, which is like religious change, that Honduras is one of the uh, Central American countries in which... Uh, Evangelical Protestants, particularly Pentecostals, have become really influential uh, in the general population. Uh, I'm not sure if it's one of the three countries that is majority Protestant or plurality Protestant, uh, but that's uh, that's certainly the most recent news I know about Honduras, uh, and I would like to know how how the religious factor actually influences uh, politics in there. So I will uh, defer to the, to the expert. So religion is a very interesting thing to talk about when it comes to Honduras, because Honduras has, for reasons relating mostly to immigration, Honduras is a surprisingly strong and surprisingly stable Muslim population, although there's not very many of them. There's also a very small but very active group of non-believers in Honduras. And recently, Dan Barker actually went to Honduras just a couple of days ago. So Dan Barker is the co-president of the Freedom From Religion Foundation, for those of uh, our listeners who don't know who he is. He is also 
fluent in Spanish, which caught me off guard because I listened, I listened to the interviews and I meant to write about it, but I didn't have the time. I wanted to write about it for Patheos, but his Spanish is surprisingly good because he's worked with like Latin American Christian singers in the past, back when he was a believer himself. And that, that was a very interesting thing, but it's, it's a good thing that Dan Barker chose now to come to Honduras because just days before he went, there was a spoiler in the election. And for those of you who don't understand what I mean in this context, I mean someone who comes into the election to split the vote. And when I first heard about the spoiler, I initially thought that she was trying to spoil the votes for the national party. As in, she was someone who was being supported by Honduran nationalists, which is the Honduran conservatives. The, basically, they're the Honduran Republicans. And there's more than one conservative party in Honduras, but the national party is the big one. They're the group that has the current majority in government. They control all branches of government, aside from theoretically the judicial branch, but the judicial branch is kind of under the control of the other two branches now anyway. Can we take a step back? Uh... And can you lay down the basics of the system? So how many candidates and parties are out there? And a little summary of what, what, they, what they stand for. Uh, and whether there is a, there is a gradient, ideological gradient, uh, which as a political scientist, I know it's very hard to define Latin American politics in the same way we define American politics in the U.S. But, uh, That, I think, would be very helpful. Honduras is a multi-party democracy, and it is a very fascinating country to study because the biggest parties are Honduras' national party, which is their conservatives. You can consider them... Most of their members are normal conservatives, but there are a few in their ranks who are evangelicals. There are a few in their ranks who are not quite evangelicals, but they're corrupt people who use the language of evangelicals. And you can always tell. Uh, step back. So when you say normal conservatives, is defining it in the U.S. terms as like low taxes, like small government, kind of like low social spending, uh, tax cuts for the rich and stuff like that. Basically, one of the big things that makes them very easily comparable to Republicans in the United States is that they are also very pro-military. That's one of that's one of the big defining markers of the National Party. And it's something that has worked out relatively well for them because Honduras has objectively become at the very least a country where less homicides happen. I don't know if I would call it a safer country. But aside from them, the next two major parties are Honduras's, I suppose you can call them center party with the liberal party, which is their normal, you can consider them Democrats, I suppose, if you need to compare their politics to the United States' politics. And they are currently being led, their presidential candidate is an engineer by the name of Luis Zelaya. This is fairly important because the other left-wing parties have formed a coalition and are pushing together a single candidate, which I'll talk about later. And the current president and someone who is running for re-election from the National Party is named Juan Orlando. 
So the Liberal Party is just the normal kind of Democratic-ish party that was originally one of the two major parties in Honduras. Currently, there are four major parties. The other two major parties, one of them is a center party, and then the other one is really far to the left compared to the Liberal Party. And the very far party, very far to the left party is named Libre, which is an acronym, but what it stands for isn't particularly important. It's for, it's basically Honduras' Freedom Party. And they are the party of the president who was ousted in 2009 and his wife, Mel Zelaya and Xiomara Castro. And it's a ragtag coalition of people who supported uh, Zelaya back when he was in power, as well as Honduran communists and what we would call progressives in our, in our language. Not just communists and progressives. But that's the, those are the two main major players in those parties. And then the other party, which is the very weird one and is probably going to be the surprise party in this election, is named PAC. And that stands for Partido Anticorrupción. And it's just Honduras' generic. You can call them the Green Party, but unlike the Green Party, they actually matter in Honduras' election. So it's not really fair to compare the two. But this party, what they want to do is they want to remove the corruption from Honduras. They're a party that has members from the right and the left, as well as the center. And so their politics are very unstable. But right now they're being led. They're being led by someone firmly in the middle, but their presidential candidate is a crazy right wing evangelist. So if. If if I am to understand, so the alignment are like so there are four major parties right now. Is that including the coalition or no? That is not including the coalition. Okay, so you have a fairly like run of the mill nationalist party. Uh, you have a, a liberal party, which is basically like you know, kind of like your run of the mill liberal party. You have kind of like more left-wingy party, and then you have basically what is a good government coalition. Yes. On, on a good day, if, you, if you're feeling irritable towards PAC, then uh, Hondurans would be inclined to call them a good guy government coalition. But lots of people don't like them for a variety of reasons that we don't have time to get into in this episode. But those are the four parties that if this were a normal election, they would be all you really need to care about. This is not a normal election. So, two questions. Why is not a normal election, and where does that spoiler that you mentioned at the beginning comes? So, this is not a normal election, because for the past 30, for the past 36 years, Honduras has had a constitution Actually, I think it's more like 46 years. Honduras has had a constitution which prohibits presidential re-election. That's not the only thing that it does, but that was one of their primary defense mechanisms against an overt dictatorship. And in 2015, this crumbled. This specific aspect of the constitution was said to be invalid according to Honduras' Supreme Court. And this matters a lot, because at first, the current president, Juan Orlando Hernandez, 
said nothing about running for re-election. And he actually initially didn't seem to support the movement to get rid of this part of the Constitution. There was another president who did, but it wasn't Zelaya, although Zelaya probably did too. But that wasn't something that he did that got him kicked out of office in 2009. What happened was in 2013, there was a president, a former president, who went to the Supreme Court and said that that part of the Constitution needed to be undone. He did this. He got it through in 2015, and then he said he was going to run for president again. Then he got arrested by FIFA. By FIFA, you mean the football organization? He was indicted on charges of corruption related to FIFA. And after that, he, was, he decided that he wasn't going to run for president again. And he's currently in the United States, where he may or may not be in prison. I've read conflicting reports about this. So all in all, that's a very confusing situation. But a couple of months ago, in early 2016, Hernandez, the sitting president, announced that he was going to be running for president again. And that's where things start to get very confusing, very corrupt. And it's part of the reason, it's not the only reason why Honduras' current general election matters so much, but it's one of the reasons. And in doing this, he started, but he started a kerfuffle. And in response to his decision to run for president again, the opposition alliance, which is made up of two of the parties that I mentioned earlier, some dissidents from the National Party, some dissidents from the Liberal Party, and a few of the other parties in Honduras that no one should care about if you are an outsider. Which really sucks because these parties are interesting in and of themselves, but they're not important for the context of this conversation. They formed a coalition where they said they would advance a single presidential candidate for the sake of curing as many votes as possible and keeping Juan Orlando Hernandez from being reelected. Now, question. Is how's the electoral system? So is this like a majoritarian system? That means that they're trying to avoid him to get a majority of the vote and go to a second round, or this is a plurality system and whoever gets the most votes wins. Plurality system. Yeah. So and in addition to this, something else that really matters is that Honduras's general election elects every single person. Every single elected official is elected at once. There, there are no exceptions to this. There, okay, the one exception to this is the Supreme Court. But that's, that's overly complicated for us to go into right this second. And basically what you need to know is Honduras' mayors, their presidents, their congressmen, their, pretty much their entire executive branch and their entire legislative branch are elected every four years. And there was no impeachment. There is now. So what's going on right now is that the opposition alliance, which is made up of the anti-corruption party and the freedom party, the crazy leftist party, although that's not fair because I like Libre, although they're bad. They're probably the best option out of all of the parties on a normal day. 
But right now they're advancing a single person. The single person that they elected was the person who founded the anti-corruption party. His name is Salvador Nasrallah. He is a sports journalist turned politician in the wake of the coup. He already had political interests before the coup. It's just that the coup was the thing that solidified his desire to participate in politics. He is a center politician. He doesn't have any particularly crazy left-leaning ideas or any particularly crazy right-leaning ideas. And he is the main person that's going to be going up against President Juan Orlando. The other two big players who are going to matter possibly in this election are Luis Alaya, who I mentioned before. He's the leader of the current Liberal Party, the normal, almost Democratic-ish politicians. And then Marlene Alvarenga. She's the spoiler. The only issue is, I can't tell who she's a spoiler for. My initial thoughts on Marlene Alvarenga as a crazy right-wing virtual nationalist in all things but party affiliation was that she was someone who was sent by the National Party to keep the people who would have voted for Nasrallah from voting for him if they agreed with the current president but didn't like the fact that he was running for re-election. But that doesn't make sense. Because if they were going to vote for the current president, they're probably going to vote for the current president anyway. So what I'm thinking right now is that she might be someone who was sent to keep the nationalists from getting all the votes, but that also doesn't make sense because that also divides the vote. She is just weird, but her language is like her language is like if Ray Comfort were a politician, and it's not good, bad. Does she talks about bananas? She talks about like so. Honduras is already a pro life in every aspect country. But for some reason, she was in an interview a couple of days ago, and she said that she would not support any women who wanted to try to legalize PAE, which is emergency contraception. She also said that she didn't support a woman's right to be with another woman. It was just a weird interview, and it came out of nowhere. Well, that's not actually true. There was a specific reason she said this, and it was because some other politicians got in trouble for saying things that could be considered as not hating member, people who love people of the same sex. They got in trouble from their parties and they had to issue retractions and clarifications. So I think that what she was saying was she was making sure that homophobes in Honduras knew they had someone they could vote for who wasn't running for re-election. Which is just a weird choice. But I mean, you do you, I guess. So now that you mentioned that, so what's the, because I know in several countries, particularly Brazil, uh, Pentecostals and other uh, evangelical-ish Christians in, 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 in Latin America have risen to power or, or are part of, of major movements in ways that they weren't decades ago. So are there any obvious religious leanings or, or, or religious tendencies within each of the parties or, or not? So Honduras, 
Honduras calls itself a secular country, or some some people within Honduras call themselves a secular country, and it's usually in a negative context. I don't know any Honduran atheists or non-believers who say that Honduras is a secular country, although it is on paper. So this causes things to be tricky because there is a religious leaning, there are religious tendencies within the National Party and within right-leaning members of the anti-corruption party. So, so if you think that someone would benefit from saying things that are obviously religiously motivated and obviously religiously pandering, they're probably going to say those things. But it's difficult to tell if every single member of Congress is a Christian because no one really talks. Like, the only people who say their religious beliefs are the nationalists and the right-leaning members of the anti-corruption party, as well as one of the odd parties, two of the odd parties, actually. The Christian Democrats, who are a censor party that are not important. They're an interesting party, but they're not important. And then the Patriotic Alliance. The Patriotic Alliance is a, right, is a right-leaning party of military leaders and people who just like the things that Christians say. And all of them are vocally Christian. I think every single member, without exception, including their two new Congress people who are actually kind of interesting and are kind of pro-LGBT, but all of them use the language of religious nationalists, which is scary. That's bad. Now, here's an interesting... So, so when you're saying Christian, you're basically... Uh, so when do you mean Christians? Do you mean like Protestant Christians or do you mean Catholics as well? Because, I mean, in Central America, you have these competitions between Catholics and, and evangelicals. And so you have these interesting dynamic in which Catholicism has been this dominant religion for the longest time that has come under siege. Uh, by decades of of mission work and and evangelization of Protestants, and eventually, what happens is that even though, like here in the United States, you see like a, a right wing Christian politics, which also includes conservative Catholics and conservative Protestants, particularly on social issues, you don't see a similar dynamic in many places in Latin America because there's that still that kind of like market competition. And so my my, my questions come in, in that sense. Like, so when you say Christians, do you mean that there's a cross-Christian regardless of denomination or tradition? Or this is a particular Protestant think to do so honduras is a special nation even in this context because one of the people who almost became the pope was a honduran catholic but there is there is a cultural war in honduras between the catholics and the protestants but when it comes to politics if you hear a religious leader's name those people are usually catholic but if you hear someone just talking about religion in general there are a good number of politicians who aren't vocally evangelical but they use the language of evangelicals and anyone who studied anyone who studied these two denominations can understand what i'm talking about here 
But the president is, at least in appearance, a practicing Catholic, and he has Catholic allies. But there are members of the National Party who appear to be Protestants and evangelicals. So it's an interesting dynamic for individuals who want to pay attention to Honduran politics for the sorts of reasons that you're talking about right now. They want to observe specific types of believers in their natural habitats where they are empowered by their constituents. And so continuing with that line of questioning, uh, at the beginning you mentioned the active kind of like secular atheist, humanist uh, Honduran movement, and that Dan Barker was actually recently there. So how do... I mean, if I, I doubt that there's much survey research that will yield a lot of of results on that. But from what you know, what are the alignments, uh, the political leanings of of people in these groups? The political leanings of Honduran non-believers it tends to be anti-dictatorial, and this this is odd. Because it, there should be a clearer alignment, but I know, I know believe I know believers and non-believers because I lived in Honduras. I went to a private school where I got to meet lots of influential people and lots of the children of influential people. And more than a few of the people that I met are non-believers now, but they're in a wide range of parties. I don't know of anyone who's not Christian who's in the National Party, but I do know of non-Christians in Libre, where it makes sense because Libre is the lefter leaning of all of Honduras's left-leaning parties. I know non-believers who are affiliated with PAC, which kind of makes sense because center parties do tend to have a wide range of religious beliefs. And I know people who are quietly non-religious in the liberal party. But the writer leaning parties, as is probably the case in most Latin American countries, have more believers than anything else. And in Honduras's case, there are typically only Christians, although there are probably also a few Jewish people, maybe even a few Muslims in some countries. Probably not in Honduras, though. And I'm assuming this is true mostly because openly nationalistic uh, movements are to a large extent, also try or or use the narrative of religion to tie into the national narrative. So people from religious minorities, including non-religious peoples, are often excluded from that. That is the case in lots of cases, although Honduras, as is always the case, has to be a weird rule breaker. Juan Orlando was trained in Israel, and he has ties not to not to Benjamin, whose last name I can't pronounce and I'm not going to try to pronounce. Not, not to Netanyahu? Him, but Honduras and Israel, at the very oh. least the National Party of Honduras and Israel, are aligned. They're not, they don't do anything for each other because they're worlds away and because Honduras doesn't have a whole lot of money in the first place. But Honduras' National Party is supported by the ruling party of Israel. And that's, that's interesting to me. It's worth people talking about, but there are far more important things to talk about than that. It's just a, a weird little anomaly that people should know about if they're going to think about how religion and national narratives work together to create 
fascistic governments. Not that the ruling party of Honduras is a fascistic party, but they could become a dictatorship. And it's very worrying to lots of people. Okay, so the last few minutes should be why why do you think it could become a dictatorship? And second, bold predictions. What do you think is going to happen? So I don't like using that sort of language because I think that it's a bad marker that the only... Like, Honduras' main system against a dictatorship isn't really a system against a dictatorship. The constitution preventing someone from being reelected, that's not really an effective marker against preventing a dictatorship. And in Honduras, where that actually happened in the past, where presidents ruled through proxy, I think it's weird that that's the system that they chose. But... Well, it happened in Mexico. So Mexico had a dictatorship for 70 years and it had no re-election. I, I think it makes sense that this is the system that they chose against it. It's just like, I think that it wasn't, it didn't go far enough. And I'm worried that we're going to see that happen with this election because there are people on both sides of the election, on both the right side and on the left side, who fear that the election is going to be stolen, whether it's by their own party or by the other side. There are members on both sides who think both ways of this. And Honduras, like there was a news article in August that said that the opposition alliance was practicing what they would do in case they heard about electoral fraud. And I don't know what good that's going to do them. I understand the motive behind it. It makes sense. But I don't know if there's electoral fraud. I don't know what they're actually going to be able to do to prevent it, especially because their measures were mostly, hey, if you see something, say something. And if we see lots of things, we'll say lots of things. This will be a very loud place for a day. And my predictions, I can't make any because I don't know what's going to happen. I was hoping in 2000, I was hoping in 2013 that Juan Orlando wouldn't be elected. I paid attention to that election. I watched it happen. I was in Honduras for part of it. I was in Honduras for the buildup but I wasn't in Honduras when the election actually happened. I was a freshman in college when the election happened. And I was very disappointed to see that the National Party was able to take another election. They also broke, they broke a record with this because prior to this, there, it hadn't been the National Party winning two elections in a row, which is what happened when Juan Orlando was elected. It was the Liberal Party winning twice in a row and then the National Party taking the government for four years and then the Liberal Party winning again. And then the coup came and just... The coup destroyed the past effectively. And that's a bit dramatic, but it really did. It broke the previous, it broke the previous expectation. People were expecting the coup to happen, and when it did, no one was able to fully predict the aftermath. And Honduras is still... I would argue that Honduras is still recovering from... The coup, although lots of people get annoyed if you call it a coup, most people prefer to call it a constitutional crisis. But whatever you call it, I would argue that Honduras is still recovering from it. And I'm hoping that right now what we see is a rejection of the status quo. But for at least some people, the status quo has been good. Honduras, Honduras has become a less dangerous place if you look at danger in terms of the number of people who die, which is a bad measure to look at it by. But if you look at it purely in those statistics, Honduras has become 
a better place if you're using that framework. So I don't know what's going to happen in the next election. And it's possible that smarter people or people who can communicate better than I can will be able to better predict things. But I'm hoping for an upset. And an upset for me would be the opposition alliance, specifically Libre and the Liberal Party and PAC, although the Liberal Party isn't part of the opposition alliance. It would be those three governments taking, it would be those three parties, taking the government back from the nationalists. I just don't expect that to happen. And I don't know if anyone expects that to happen. Okay, so any questions for for our listeners? Do you guys, if you if you are Honduran and you're listening to this, are you expecting the opposition alliance to win? Or would that be an upset in your eyes? And one way or another, would you be happy if they won? I know lots of people in my circles who would be, including, surprisingly, the children of the rich and powerful. People are worried about what's going on with Honduras. People are worried about seeing their government possibly become a dictatorship. And if you expect the National Party to win, would you be happy with that? Does Juan Orlando possibly becoming the president again? Is that something that appeals to you? And if so, why? Because I'm not going to judge you for saying, yes, I don't know what you're thinking if you live in Honduras. I don't know if you see the enhanced security, the increasing militarization of the government around you. I don't know if you see those things as a good thing. Okay. So remember, uh, today we are recording on Luciano's birthday. So as a birthday present to Luciano, listen to the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, review the podcast, give us a good review, follow us in Twitter, Facebook, This has been the Benito Juarez Experience. I am Joem Navarro Rivera. And this is Luciano Joshua Gonzalez. We will talk to you guys later.